today's, uh, today's scripture reading is from John 1, 35 to 42. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Thanks, Larry. Have you ever been on a mission? A mission to find something or someone. When Andrea and I go to Costco, we get through the door, and she goes one direction, I go the other direction. And after a while, uh, an alarm goes off in my head, and it tells me I need to go find her. And so I start at one corner, and I begin weaving my way back and forth down the aisles, all the time trying to remember what she was wearing that morning. <laughs> it almost feels like uh, that Dr. Zeus children's story with the little birds going around saying, are you my mother? Are you my mother? We find ourselves back in the Gospel of John, and we just heard part of the passage read for us. Last week, John the Baptist was confronted by a delegation asking him to identify himself. And John knew who he was. He was a voice, a voice preparing the way for Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This morning, our focus is on Jesus. We're looking at verses 35 to 51, and here we're going to find, the dis we're going to find disciples that are searching for a Messiah and a Messiah searching for disciples. I'm calling the sermon the ABCs of discipleship. The Gospel of John begins with that line, in the beginning. In the beginning signals that something new is about to happen. And we're told that God, or the Word, has become human. God has put on our humanity. In, in other words, he's put on eyebrows, kneecaps, and toenails. The story begins with a spotlight on John the Baptist, but John moves the spotlight from himself onto the Messiah, the long-expected deliverer of Israel. And the writer of John moves through a number of scene changes for us very quickly in chapter 1. And he does this by saying, the next day, the next day, the next day. On the first day, John the Baptist, Baptist testifies about himself. The second day, he testifies about Jesus. And then the third day, John the Baptist points his disciples to Jesus. So verse 35, the following day, the next day, John was again standing with 
two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, the Lamb of God. There is the Lamb of God. There's an abruptness, a suddenness to the telling of this story. Do you feel it? John the Baptist says, Look, there is the Lamb of God. And immediately, two of his disciples begin heading off in a new direction towards Jesus. If only our efforts were so well-received, so effective. What we don't see is the time these disciples have been spending with John. John, whose whole purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus, the Messiah. And so when he pointed out the Messiah, they were ready. They were eager to follow Jesus. The very first words that Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John are, What do you want? What do you want? What are you looking for? What's up? This will be the critical question throughout the gospel. What are you searching for? The next question appears strange to us. Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Where are you staying? This wasn't a strange question for these disciples. In the ancient world, disciples went and lived in the residence of their teacher, their rabbi. In Luke's Gospel, Luke tells the story of a man who wanted to follow Jesus, and Jesus replied, and this is what he said, Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. In other words, I have no permanent residence. I don't have a teaching academy that I can bring you to. You may want to reconsider your desire to follow me. In the Gospel of John, Jesus invites these two men to come and see. He doesn't answer all their questions. He simply says, come and see. Come on at a journey of discovery with me. Jesus doesn't give us all the answers we have. He never does. But he does invite us into relationship. He says, come and discover for yourself. The identity of one of the followers is revealed. It's Andrew. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. When I was growing up, I was known as Jake and Helen's boy. I was known as Dorothea and Charlotte's younger brother. That got me a long ways. Charlotte was just ahead of me in school. She was well-liked. She did very well in school. And so there was an assumption when I came along that I should be smart too. So I think I got better grades simply because they thought, well, he can't be that bad. <laughs> it's amazing how siblings, parents can open doors for us. But there's some people that don't want that. They don't want to be identified with a parent or with a sibling. They want to be who they are themselves. Andrew had no problem being known as Simon Peter's brother. In fact, that's his claim to fame, bringing Simon to Jesus. Listen to what happens when Andrew brings Simon to Jesus. This I'm reading from the message now. <clears throat> Jesus took one look up and said, You're John's son, Simon? From now on, your name is Cephas, or Peter, which means rock. Before Dwayne the Rock Johnson, we have Simon the Rock Peter 
Who knew that, right? That that could happen. Names mean something. When Dreen and I named our boys, she looked into the meaning in behind those names and, and she remembers what those names mean for each one of our sons. The name is not a mere label. A name points to the nature and character of a person. When a name is changed, we should take note. In the Bible, a few people had their names changed. Abraham and Sarah. Ruth changes her own name. One of the most notable name changes in the Bible is that of Jacob. Jacob, the son of Isaac. <clears throat> we already heard this morning, <clears throat> excuse me, how God was identified as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But Jacob was a deceiver. He had spent his life tricking people in order to get his own way. His name meant to grasp the heel, and he came out of his mother's womb grasping the heel of his older twin brother, Esau. Figuratively, one of this name means one who grasps the heel is one who trips up another or overtakes another. And this is how Jacob lived his life. In Genesis 32, we have the story of God wrestling with Jacob. It's the middle of the night, and all of a sudden, Jacob finds himself in a wrestling match. When the sun rose the next morning, Jacob was a different man. He walked away from that campsite with a noticeable limp and a new name. He was no longer Jacob the deceiver. He was now Israel, one who strives after God. We discover in Jacob's story and also in Abraham and Sarah's story earlier in Genesis that when God changes someone's name, it signals a new beginning, a renewal, a fresh start. Jesus took one look up and said, you're John's son, Simon. From now on, your name is Cephas or Peter, which means rock. We have another scene change signal in, in verse 43. The next day, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses, the prophet, wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. And as they approached Jesus, as they approached Jesus said, Now there is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I'd seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Again, a scene change. The next day, and this time the setting is going to change as well because Jesus is wanting to move north to the area of Galilee. 
And as he's heading there, they bump into Philip. And he says to Philip, come, follow me. That appears to be the extent of the conversation with Philip. Philip, like Andrew, finds a friend and invites this friend to join them in their journey with Jesus. And his friend's name is Nathaniel. Nathaniel is not easily convinced. To persuade him, Philip tells Nathaniel that Jesus is the one that Moses wrote about. And by the way, he's Joseph's son and from Nazareth. Do you have restricted zones, geographical areas that you don't travel to? When we were interviewing for a job here at, at South Langley, we were living in Winnipeg. So we were out for a few days, but we didn't have time to look at housing. So I needed to fly back here to the Lower Mainland to find us some housing. Dream couldn't come because the boys were at an age where she needed to be at home with them. I grew up in Vancouver, so I knew a little bit about the Fraser Valley. I knew that I was not moving to Aldergrove. <laughs> Aldergrove did not have a good reputation. In fact, it was seen as the armpit of the valley. We bought in Aldergrove. <laughs> Best decision we made as a family. Nathaniel has a similar response to Philip's information that Jesus was from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaims Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip suggests that he should at least come and see. Sometimes our pre preconceived ideas and notions keep us from meeting Jesus. We have this thing built up in our mind that, no, nah, no, I, I, I can't go there. It can be as simple as thinking that he comes from the wrong town. I invite you to come and see Jesus as we journey through the Gospel of John. Nathaniel meets Jesus, and it's like Jesus is meeting a very close friend. And Jesus says, as they approach, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. The NIV translation puts it this way. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Do you recognize two of those words? Israel, deceit. Deceit, Israel. We've talked about Israel earlier. Well, we talked about Jacob, who had his name changed from deceit, the one who trips up others, to Israel, one who strives after God. After meeting God, Jacob is a changed man. True Israelites will be those who strive after the Son of God. A conversation flows back and forth between Jesus and Nathaniel. <clears throat> Jesus knows things about him that, that causes him to make this confession. Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Jesus concludes saying, Wow, that's very insightful, Nathaniel. Do you believe because I told you I saw you on a, under a fig tree earlier? Is that, is that why you believe? If it only took that much for you to believe, you're going to see a lot, lot more. That's just going to be out of this world. Verse 51, I tell you the truth, you will see 
you will all see heaven open and the angels of God coming up and down on the Son of Man, one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Again, we're asked to remember an Old Testament story. We bumped into the main character of this story twice already, Jacob. Jacob, who's been renamed Israel. John wants us to remember the story of Jacob's ladder in Genesis 28.8. Jacob has deceived his father Isaac. He's tricked his father into giving him the blessing that was meant for the eldest twin, Esau. When Esau discovers what has happened, he is angry. And he actually wants to kill Jacob. And Jacob pleads for his life. And trying to put some miles between him and his brother, he heads off towards his ancestral home of Haran. And at the first stop, he takes a stone as a pillow and goes to sleep. And he has a dream. And in this dream, heaven opens up. And a ladder or stairway comes down from heaven to earth. And the angels of God are flowing up and down, descending and ascending this stairway. God speaks to Jacob in the dream. And when he wakes up, Jacob renames this area Bethel. Bethel means house of God. Beth is house, El is God. Jacob renames this territory, this site, Bethel. Jesus draws upon this Old Testament story to tell Nathanael that a new Bethel has arrived. A new house of God, a new meeting place between heaven and earth has arrived. And this was already hinted at in the earlier verses in, in John chapter 1, where we're told that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word made his dwelling among us. Literally, the word built set up a tent, set up a tabernacle amongst us, and that's where his glory was. And so in the Old Testament, you have the, that image of the children of Israel moving through the wilderness towards the promised land. In the midst, they had the tent of meeting, the tabernacle where God's glory dwelt. John, the writer of the Gospel, tells us that a new glory, a new place where God's glory dwells has come amongst them. Jesus is that place where God's glory dwells. Jesus is the new, place, new meeting place for humanity, hanging between heaven and earth. We don't know it yet, but his throne is like no other. It is shaped as a cross. In the fall, Dreen and I managed to take some time off and, and we made our way to Maui. And when you come to a new place, you, you try to figure out the lay of the land very quickly. You want, you want to know where you can get the things that you've forgotten at home at a reasonable rate. And so we managed to find that place and it was the ABC store. And we discovered that they are everywhere. You can get snorkels, goggles, t-shirts, all kinds of souvenirs. They have snacks there. They, this is the store, it's the ABCs of convenience stores. And so when we talk about the ABCs of, of discipleship, we're talking about those things that are basic, the very basic things that, that make up discipleship. 
So what have we learned out of these verses this morning? Well, we start with A. A stands for accompany. A main theme that runs through these verses is following. The first disciples, Andrew being one of them, heard John the Baptist's testimony, and he accompanied Jesus. He followed Jesus, the Lamb of God. Following is at the heart of discipleship. Andrew didn't have all his questions answered, but he accompanied Jesus. He trusted the people around him. He trusted John the Baptist that when he said that here is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, that that is the man that I need to follow. Simon Peter trusted his brother Andrew when he told him that he had found the Messiah. Philip persuaded his friend Nathaniel with, come, see, take a look for yourself, accompany Jesus for a little while, follow and discover for yourself who he is. Following means a little bit more than just tagging along. We do that with friends, right? If we don't have anything to do, we say, well, maybe I'll just tag along with you. Following Jesus leads to becoming like him, pattering our lives after his, imitating him, copying him. If you spend enough time with someone, you become like them. Following Jesus leads to becoming like Jesus. That is discipleship. B stands for believe. The summons to believe is best understood in the invitation, come and see. Following leads to believing. Sometimes we think we have, it, we have to figure it all out before we can follow, before we can believe. We don't. There's enough mystery seeded into our world that we'll never figure it all out. Come and see. Simple invitation, come and see. The disciples were searching for the Messiah. The Messiah was searching for his disciples. And it all began with come and see. Follow me and discover for yourself who I am, Jesus said. Notice how closely following and believing go together. You can't truly believe if you're not following. And following only makes sense if you believe. The whole purpose of John's gospel is to believe. The first four disciples of Jesus follow him, and as they follow him, they believe. And the more they follow, the more they saw, and the more they believe. This also works in the reverse. When we stop following Jesus, spending time with him, with his family, our belief slowly seeps out of us. What we're left with is not so much doubt, but rather a cool indifference. After Jesus' resurrection, one disciple, Thomas, had doubts. He didn't know if Jesus had truly risen from the dead. But when he saw Jesus, he believed. And Jesus responds to Thomas. He says, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And then he ends in verse 31 of chapter 20. Because this is the heart of the gospel but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Belief is more than mere acceptance of an intellectual idea. Belief involves our whole being, our heart, our soul, our mind. It involves a steadfast commitment to following Jesus. C stands for cost. Discipleship costs. 
to accompany Jesus, to follow him, believing he's the Messiah will cost us our lives. The Olympics ended last weekend. And I'm always amazed when I watch these athletes, the cost that they had to make in order to get to the Olympics. There's one story that, that captured my imagination. It was the story of the Olympic cross-country skier from Mexico. German Medredzo took up skiing just a year prior to getting to the Olympics. He trained for a year and made it to the 2018 Winter Games. News reports stated the happiest person to cross the finishing line of the 15-kilometer cross-country race wasn't the person who finished first, but rather the person who finished last, this 43-year-old Mexican racer. He came in 26 minutes after the winner from Switzerland. On his arrival, he received a welcome rivaling the gold medal celebration. Incredible story. There was a cost paid by every athlete, those that won medals and those that came in last. They didn't think twice about what it would cost them. It was worth it all. Sports isn't the only arena where costs are high. There's often high costs associated with career paths. Yesterday, I had the privilege of officiating at Anthony and Brianna's wedding. They flew into their reception on a helicopter. It was an incredible thing. There's a cost to couples committing themselves to marriage. There's a cost to remaining single. You may be familiar with the story of the chicken and the pig. They lived together on a farm, and one day the farmer came out and said that he, he, the family wanted ham and eggs for breakfast. And were there any volunteers? And the chicken nudged the pig and said, come on, let's volunteer. And the pig declined, saying, that's easy for you to suggest. From you, all they need is a little contribution. From me, it's total commitment. <laughs> the cost of discipleship is not a little contribution, but rather complete sacrifice. Following Jesus is going to cost us everything. There can be no greater love than our love for Jesus. There can be no other worship than our worship of Jesus. No other gods than Jesus. Peter, the disciple Jesus renamed, is recorded in Mark's gospel to have responded to Jesus by saying this. He said, we've left everything. We've left it all, Jesus, to follow you. One preacher put it this way. Anybody who wants to meet Jesus, to understand or be with Jesus, must be willing to relocate. If you've ever had to move from your neighborhood into a new neighborhood, into a different province, new town, a different country, you understand the cost of relocation. Discipleship means relocation. That will cost us. When Doreen and I were in seminary in Fresno, California, we observed that a number of the people studying with us put restrictions on their call, geographical restrictions on their call. They said, God, you can call us to pastor a church, but it has to be in the lower mainland. We didn't want to limit God to 
a geographical area. And so we said, Lord, call us to any place other than Saskatchewan. <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> our, our first church was Yorkton, Saskatchewan. And then we got called to Winnipeg. And then from Winnipeg, we were called here. Relocation is at the heart of discipleship. And there are many things in our lives that get relocated when we follow Jesus. So these are the ABCs of discipleship. Accompanying Jesus, following him, believing in him with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and knowing that discipleship is going to cost us our lives. So I invite you, come. Come and see. Join with us as we follow Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, such a simple invitation you've given to us to come and see. Lord, give us the courage to follow, to believe, to count the cost, and be your disciple. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.